Not too long ago, many of us experienced the madness of college basketball tournaments, when a game or your dreams or your bracket could be saved or dashed by a last-second buzzer beater. While we may be awed by the athleticism of these elite athletes, most of us take it for granted that we could get out on the court and shoot some hoops. For some people, a chance life event, a fluke, changes everything. Injury or disease may require amputation, the loss of a limb, but not necessarily the loss of your game. In this episode, you'll hear the story of these remarkable athletes, the coaches that inspire them, and the doctors that heal them. We'll talk about how modern technology, combined with old-school heart and desire, are helping amputees stand up and shoot for their dreams. Welcome to The Bone Lab. Cool, right, thank, awesome. you. thank you. How did you know? We're not dressed for basketball at all. I guess we look like... <laughs> We're on our way to watch a basketball clinic. Warriors coach and former NBA player Luke Walton was there to high-five the participants. Now, full disclosure, Kate and I are not basketball savvy at all. I took pictures of a tall guy with a cute baby, and Jennifer had to explain to us afterwards why he was famous. Uh, let me know if you need anything. I'm kind of in chaos mode. Okay, yeah, things yeah, sure, sure. That's Alex. He helped organize the clinic. On our left, participants of all ages are lined up to sign waivers and grab their jerseys. This is Sherry. I'm a TV star already. I'm a podcaster. <laughs> On our right, there's a heated basketball scrimmage between Warriors coaching staff and members of a team called Amp One. Maybe we should move so we're not right under the hoop. <laughs> I've been playing pretty much since junior high and just always loved it no matter what you know no matter how good you get there's always somebody better so it kind of helps that brings that passion you know like I want to be the best that was Tyler he's the team captain of AMP1 he and his team are here to inspire participants to improve their skills on the court for me and Nick and then Donnie's on the team Uh Uh, there's uh, nine of us right now, okay. but we're from all over the country. So he's from Arizona, okay. uh, I'm from Salt Lake, and the other guy's from Denver. We practice on your own, and then okay. we, we set up events like this, and we all fly in, practice in the morning, and then we play a game, or we do motivational speaking as well. After the scrimmage, everyone got on the court for some warm-ups. They ran half a court forwards, half a court backwards, they did some jump shots. Um, I was wondering if I could ask just what brings you here to this event today. Uh, actually, my 11-year-old son right here. Basketball is his main sport, or does he? He likes play? every sport. Okay. Yeah, he likes basketball, football, um, soccer. He was born with a uh, congenitally amputated foot, um, so he goes to a lot of different uh, little camps and everything like that to, you know, just strengthen them, give them uh, encouragement. Basically, just let them know that there's others just like him that are out here. I don't really know. I think it's like really fun and really cool to like meet people that have prosthetic legs like me. That sentiment was echoed by every participant we talked to. It's kind of nice to check out, to learn some new moves, maybe. Sort of dabble in triathlon. I've been a lifelong amputee. So, as, a, as an amputee, you, you like to find groups that resonate with you. That's exactly why Alex and the Amputee Comprehensive Training Program organizes events like these. When you're surrounded by a community, you feel safe trying things that maybe you haven't done in years. Seeing 
the the smile on their face. Sometimes there's a lot of tears too. Seeing the family, you know, and the support that they get and the uh, enjoyment or appreciation they have of walking again or carrying their kid again or walking the dog. I think that's what I like most. We talked to one guy, Miguel. He was resting on the bleachers and I recognized him from some ads a while back. His picture was on buses all over San Francisco. I was kind of just like, you know, a recreational runner. And um, it was just my hobby. It was like a stress reliever. And once I lost my leg, I'm like, oh, what do I do now? I was a garbage man for 25 years in Pacifica. And a distracted driver uh, hit me from behind that day. And to top it off, the garbage truck that I was working wasn't working properly. So I had to manually dump each garbage can and I never saw the car coming. And to top it off, when she hit me, I never passed out. So I saw it all. He saw exactly what happened to his legs, and the images still haunt him. He has PTSD, but he is focused on running again. Yeah, people ask me, how has it been? I go, it's been the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life, but somehow I'm doing it. I guess it's that will to live, to see yourself as a survivor and not a victim. It's created a much stronger individual, I'll tell you that. What we're trying to do is get amputees to play stand-up sports. Existing leagues compete in wheelchairs. Tyler and Amp One came to show everyone that amputees are just as capable of playing stand-up sports as anyone else. The Amp One players wear prosthetics on one or both legs, but that doesn't stop them from dunking like the pros that they are. We've linked to one of their videos so you can see for yourself. So I was ran over by a garbage truck when I was four, so it's like nothing new to me. It's just the technology gets better, so you learn to, to adapt to that. Yeah, you know? I noticed yours is different than like everybody else's. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about So it? this one's a microprocessor. Tyler has an above-the-knee amputation. The simplest prosthetic knees swing like a pendulum, but with this kind of knee, you can only walk at one speed. As you can imagine, the system is not good for sports because it doesn't give you enough control, and it doesn't mimic the movement of a real leg. Tyler's knee is high-tech. It looks like it belongs in a Terminator movie. It's got a glowing red light and motors that straighten or bend the knee, kind of like artificial quadriceps and hamstrings. So it has a battery in it. Wow, cool. So So it's just a camera battery. It runs the computer that tells the knee when to bend, when not to. Playing sports with an above-the-knee amputation is tricky. You need a prosthetic leg to mimic the action of two joints, the knee and the ankle. Yeah, so it knows if I go backwards not to bend, so I'm going to fall down. Okay. As soon as I run forward, it knows to bend. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Oh, cool. We're actually sponsored by the manufacturer who built kind of like like a Nike with shoes. We're the guys with the prosthetics. Oh, that's awesome. Technology like microcomputers and camera batteries get adapted into new prosthetics. I saw one knee that looked like part of a mountain bike. It had a small shock absorber so the knee could flex and absorb impacts in a more natural way. After the clinic, the folks at UCSF were kind enough to show us around their facility. Once again, we're hearing from Alex Hetherington. Hey. Good to see you again. Good to see you. It's fun. You get to work, obviously, with the patient very closely. Mm -hmm. You know, we represent progress and kind of restoring life and, and motion. So whether it's evolution of the components, they're, they're looking to not just walk anymore. They want to play sport or they want to go hiking or they want to go swimming. To help individuals achieve those goals, you really need to think outside the box. The field adapts technology from things like video games, cell phones, and cars. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting field. It's a lot of art and, and engineering. This is so true. Their workspace is like a mix between an artist's studio and a mechanic's garage. 
It has a sewing machine, bits of foam, plaster casts of assorted body parts. But it's also got workbenches, saws, power tools, and boxes of spare metal parts. This is the class, the classroom. Okay. This is our dirty room. We okay. do the classroom work and gets like the negative. This is after an amputation, you're taking an impression of the residual limb. Let's say that a patient needs a prosthetic to replace the leg below the knee. The patient's in front of me, mm-hmm. and I'm wrapping it in, in plaster. Before I do that, I mark the anatomy on the patient. Mm-hmm. I palpate the anatomy. I, I feel regions and how firm the tissue, how soft the tissue is. So I map it on the patient so that when I come back here and we fill it with plaster, mm-hmm. those marks transfer. I marked off the fibula, fibular head, this is the tibial crest, patella. He's naming regions of the lower leg. These are regions that give some knees that knobby appearance. So if you touch your knee, especially around the joint, you'll feel these bony bumps. So if the amputation like transected the bone, like if it was through the tibia or through mm-hmm. the femur, yeah, you can't put pressure on the end of that bone. That doesn't oh. feel good. A lot of people think you can just stand on the end of your limb, but anytime mm-hmm. the bone's cut, you're not going to stand on the end of that cut bone. The body weight is still going to not feel good. Without a joint like a knee or an ankle to distribute and absorb shock, the forces from walking and running feel quite painful. The markings Alex makes on a patient's leg are meant to figure out where to redistribute the pressure, kind of like a topographical map of the surface of the leg. The goal is to spread the pressure from the body weight across a large surface area. This is the first step in getting a custom prosthetic. Then, Alex wraps plaster cloth around the limb. If you've ever had to wear a cast after breaking a bone, this material is exactly the same. As the cast dries, it forms a mold of the patient's limb. So Zach will fill this with plaster of Paris. Once that sets, the casing is removed to reveal a solid plaster replica of the remaining limb. Remember the ink marks made on the patient's leg? Those get transferred onto the positive mold, so it's like an exact replica of the patient's remaining limb. So from there, obviously we have kind of body parts everywhere. Alex washes the plaster off his hands before we move on. Um, here in our technique, he walks us over to the machine shop and holds up a big sheet of thermoplastic. We have big sheets of it. This so, material uh, is molded around that cast of the limb. Yeah. So basically, like the hot plastic, big sheets of plastic, hot plastics wrapped around the, the plaster mold that he has. As a big sheet, it drapes around it, and we seam it, and we suck the air out of it through the vacuum, and that's what like basically pulls it in. So now, you vacuum-formed a test socket, a temporary piece that you'd have the patient try on. If it doesn't fit right, Alex and his crew can heat it up and change it right then and there. That's only when the foot's on the ground. Once the foot, you know, they switch to the other side, and the, and the prosthetic foot's now in the air and swing phase, it's got to stay on them. We call that the suspension. A suspension system keeps the prosthetic on when the foot is lifted off the ground. This could be when someone is walking or when someone is dunking a basketball. And there are a couple ways of doing this. There's different materials that are out there, silicone, urethanes. It's like an interface between the the socket, the prosthesis, and their tissue or their skin. This one has a pin, and it locks in the bottom of this system. Pin suspension uses a silicone sleeve that fits snugly over the end of the limb. You can roll it on, kind of like a sock, only it has a sturdy pin on the end that locks into the prosthetic. So, they'll engage in it there. You're locked in until you disengage that. I keep going back to bikes, you might have noticed, but... I'm into bikes, so maybe I'm biased, but I think prosthetics are a lot like bikes. As you build them, you've got to think about things like weight, fit, and shock absorption. The places where your body contacts the bike, like the handlebars and the seat, they're typically cushioned. 
just like those rubber sleeves that you wear with the prosthetic. Some people prefer shoes that lock the foot onto the bike pedal so it won't accidentally slip off. That's a lot like pin suspension. Plus, prosthetics in bikes are made of a lot of the same materials, things like carbon fiber, aluminum, and titanium. After we work on the fit of the socket, we put some adapters and connect the prosthetic foot, the pylon, and the foot. The pylon is a metal rod that connects the socket to the foot. It replaces the tibia, or shin bone. This connects to a foot-like attachment, which is often designed to fit inside of a shoe. Exactly the height and the angle and the alignment. And this is really dictated by watching them stand, watching them walk. Alex watches patients walk down a long hallway and helps them adjust the fit of the device. Um, are they stable? Are they walking the outside of the foot, the inside of the foot? It might take a few visits to get these adapters between the socket and the pylon and the pylon and the foot just right. This is a carbon fiber socket. So from the test socket, we would fabricate the carbon fiber and fiber version. Like this, I can't heat and manipulate mm -hmm. and change. So I want to really fine tune it in that stage and customize it. And then when we have a good final fit, we call it, it's comfortable, it's functional, then we would make the final carbon version because this isn't as uh, nearly as adjustable, but it's a lot lighter and stronger. Like any piece of sports equipment, it takes practice to become comfortable with a new device. But watching the players at the clinic, it's almost like the device is any other part of the body. And the people who work with these devices feel the same way. Just listen to the way Alex responds when I ask to take pictures for the blog. Um, am I allowed to take pictures with my cell phone? or well, As long as there's any patient names. Yeah, like the, the knee down that's on the bench over there. Like, is this what you're talking about? Yeah, like this one. Um, if you take a picture, let's just take off the shoe. There's no identifier. Oh, to, like, okay, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Or like this one, maybe. Um, Richard, do you think Deborah would care? No. No. I mean, there's no identifier on this, so you yeah. don't know that this is Deborah. So, so it, it's, it's uh, I guess it's kind of strange because it's hers, but she's not here, so she'll recognize it and feel like it's invading privacy. Or, no, Deborah no. won't care. She won't care. This no, patient, no, this patient might. <laughs> okay, if, it, if it's weird, I don't know. That one won't. Okay. This one probably won't. During this exchange, I started to feel like an intruder. I hadn't appreciated the personal connection between patient and prosthetic. Whereas I saw parallels between prosthetics and mechanical things like bikes, Alex and his team saw each prosthetic as an extension of the individual. By the end of the tour, I started to agree. A lot of losing a limb is like losing a loved one. It's the same recovery, emotional recovery process, grieving process. And there's, yeah, there's a lot of obviously psychological changes, life changes going on. And that's where I was getting at when they're here, you know, we're progress, we're kind of on the positive side of things. You know, Alex you know. organizes events like the Warriors Basketball Clinic to help patients move past the sorrow of their loss. That Saturday, we watched people come together, make new friends, and try things in a supportive environment. You know, we're just a small part of it, building the device, but we're trying to, um, you know, restore as much as we can and realize that they can do something that maybe they thought they couldn't do. I played basketball all my life, but I haven't played since, since I lost my leg. And this is the first time I've actually touched the basketball in six years. It feels okay. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it, you know. I'm happy with my progress. Thanks to Alex Hetherington for teaching us the ins and outs of designing prosthetics and orthotics. He works at the Amputee Comprehensive Training Program, and he gave us a VIP tour of the facilities at UCSF. 
Thanks to Sherry, Miguel, Tyler, Greg, and his son, Alan, Mark, Juan, and everybody else we talked to at the clinic. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with us. Witness the fitness at our website, bonelabradio.org, where you can click through our gallery of photos from the clinic. You'll also find a link to the Challenge Athletes Foundation. They are a great cause. They plan events and they offer resources for adaptive athletes. And of course, we have a link to the AMP1 website where you can learn how to get involved and you can watch some of their awesome videos. This episode was produced by Jeannie Bailey, Jennifer Fish, Jenny Chi, my co-host, and me, Kate Waranowitz. Ralph St. Louis is our web guru, and my sister, Michelle Waranowitz, draws our episode art. We like talking with you, so tweet at us at Bone Lab Radio. Say hi on Facebook. Write us an email. And if you want to help us reach more people's ears, tell your friends about us. Give us a review on Acast or iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a big way that you can help us reach more people. Thank you for spreading the word. Thank you for supporting us. And thanks for listening. We have a track list of all the songs we used in this episode on our website. And we want to thank our sponsor, the American Association of Anatomists.